to From the Source. I'm Michelle Brenner and I'm your host. From the Source aims to answer the question of what tech jobs are really like, both the good and the boring. Before I start the podcast, I wanted to do a disclaimer about today's episode. Today's guest talks about Girl Development, an organization I used to be a part of but no longer wish to be associated with. I struggled with how to address this, but ultimately decided I do not want to censor my guests. I have included more information about the organization in the show notes for you to make your own decision. We had a lovely conversation, and I hope you enjoy it. Today, we're going to hear from Tay Johnson. Tay, can you tell us your current job title and how long you've been there? I'm currently an instructor for Girl Development, and I'm also sitting on a tech committee board at the Intemple Tech Collaborative. And I've pretty much been working with Girl Development for the past year, and I just recently joined the tech committee back in December. Can you tell me more about what the tech committee is? Yeah, no problem. Pretty much um, my experience is mostly in the nonprofit sector. So I used to work in-house as pretty much their resident tech person. And a lot of nonprofits, as we may know, are a little bit outdated with some of the systems that they use. So I was pretty much brought in to help them become more like efficient. So I noticed throughout my years of working with nonprofits that they really didn't, A, have the funding to like, you know, update their website or try to do like really, really advanced stuff like create an app. So we pretty much here in Temple Tech Collaborative, we partner with various nonprofits in New York City to help them get those initiatives off the ground. So usually we work with more like grassroots or small organizations who are just starting out to say, hey, where do you see you guys see yourself within the next like six months? Um, and that's something that we try to do. And since we're so small, it's like kind of like a startup, but it's weird because it's a nonprofit as well. What do you think are the biggest tech needs for nonprofits? I would say, honestly, when it comes to just like data related, they want to be able to track their impact. Like how many people are we serving for a particular program? Since they're so used to doing stuff either like by like word of mouth or just over the phone, a lot of it isn't digital. So they don't actually put things in their database. They actually just like file it away. And it's really hard to track that at the end of the year for grant writing purposes. Um, as you know, when you receive money, people actually want to know what you did with it. And a lot of nonprofits were just so used to just saying like, hey, yeah, I know we're good. I know we have a lasting impact. I know we reached a certain amount of people, but they didn't have any concrete ways to track their impact. Now that you're starting to help them track their data, is there anything surprising that you found out? Oh, definitely that they actually did a lot more work than they knew about um, because it's one of those things where you kind of don't know what you don't know, if that makes sense. And I would have to say from my experience with working with nonprofits, it's really, really fun to see them understand like this is actually what you do and you guys do a lot. So that's one of the things that I realized like they just don't necessarily know how great they're doing their work day to day. It's like you're kind of keeping everything afloat that you kind of forget to pat yourself on the back, so to speak. Well, that's great to know. So what does an average day look like for you? Oh, an average day for me, honestly, is just, I always check my emails. <laughs> I think that's pretty standard. Um, I do get a lot of emails, like a lot of us do, but I always try to like put out any fires that may have happened over the night, but I usually check to make sure the database is up and running. That's like a standard thing that I do. Um, I try to make sure that A, 
Our website is good. We're able to like make sure we have all our donations. Um, also, if there's any like ad hoc requests, because when you're working with data, there's a lot of reporting that you have to do. So I just make sure that, hey, someone might need information from me and either I can show them how to create their own reports or I can do it myself. Um, and that's like a typical day for me, I would say. And like on a bad day, if something is down, I do have to do a little bit of like debugging stuff, which is like not too much fun, but uh, I actually enjoy it. Do you find that you can provide kind of standard solutions for different nonprofits or are they also different? You have to give them custom solutions. I feel like it's a little bit of both um, only because it depends on the size of the nonprofit, meaning like how many teams they have. Like if they have like two people within a role, that's great. That's actually a lot of support. But in my experience, a lot of nonprofits are really small. So pretty much like using myself as an example, I'm the only one with my title. So it'll be a situation where like if I have all the industry knowledge I kind of hold it for that said department and there's not another person who can kind of like fill in for me. So I would say that a lot of it has to be customized depending on the size and the needs of the nonprofit. Have you had a favorite long-term project? Oh, yes, I have. One of my favorite, favorite uh, projects is honestly just building a database. Like it sounds very like elementary, but I enjoy pretty much taking a bunch of information and putting it together. It's kind of like having individual puzzle pieces and then coming together and saying, hey, look at this is what I created. Um, That's something that I really, really enjoy. Uh, Is there anything you could advise our listeners on when they're designing their own databases, like pitfalls to avoid? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, Knowing your user. I feel like sometimes when it comes to a database, a lot of them are like not built to scale over a long period of time. Um, I, I assume that the developer or the engineer first starting out, they had an idea of what they wanted the database to do. But then as the organizational business grew, the database just didn't withstand all the information <laughs> that it needed to run. And that's when, of course, like people have to come in and make updates and upgrades to it. But I really, really stress the fact of during the scoping phase, Make sure that you actually know what you want your database to do and where do you see the organization or business going data-wise for like the next couple of years, if any. Yeah, as, a, as an engineer, it seems like database design is one of the hardest aspects because it's the most critical, the hardest to change, and it's when you have the least information about people using your product. I definitely agree. Uh, what is the most boring but essential part of your job? <laughs> Oh, of course, a data entry, like deduping stuff, like duplicates. And a good example is just like someone will have their nickname and their full government listed, and I won't know it's the same person. So I have to look in two or three different spots to know this is the same person. (laughs) So those are the little things that I don't enjoy because I'm like, I don't know these people personally to specify that you are, you know, the same individual (laughs) in the database. And of course, the other most common thing is when people are married um, believe it or not, people don't change their name. And I won't know if someone's married, particularly for women. Um, and that's one of the things that I usually fall back on a lot. It's like, oh, this person is in the same household. I didn't know. <laughs> that actually makes me feel good because I got married and didn't change my name. And I thought I was in the minority. So knowing other people are doing it, it actually it's actually nice. Even though it's even though it's ruining your job. I'm sorry. Oh, no, it's fine. I completely understand. I was like, I don't make assumptions that everyone just automatically, you know, (laughs) changes their name. It's just like one of those things where I have to like be mindful of. (laughs) What is the most stressful part of your job and how do you manage it? Oh, definitely just like 
not knowing what I'm walking into is the most stressful thing. And I can kind of like elaborate a little bit more where like when it comes to particularly data, sometimes it's just not consistent. And I'm pretty much trying to track (laughs) and making sure that the data is consistent across multiple platforms. And sometimes it's a situation where like I'll get stuck and I'm like, wait, something's not adding up. And I have to literally go finding and digging for something. And that is one thing that I really, really have a hard time doing sometimes because sometimes I just don't know what I don't know. And I have to like dig really, really far to get it. And by the time I found it, I swore a couple hours could go by (laughs) before I'm just like dead set. I want to know why this is appearing this way. And so I'm looking in the back and like, okay, this is how it was set up. I didn't know. What skills do you find most essential on a day-to-day basis? Oh, believe it or not, communication, Um, because I support so many different teams. Keeping everyone in the loop is very, very important, especially when it comes to just data, Um, because any change that I make affects not only one team, but it affects multiple teams. So just being very mindful to communicate any changes or any even idea to change something, um, I have to communicate clearly to everyone at the same time. I will have to say that it's not surprising because it's the eighth episode and that it's been a variation on that exact same answer is what I've gotten from every single person. Really? Oh, goodness. (laughs) I think people really underestimate it. And I think that's one of the coolest parts about doing this podcast is that I get to surprise people like, oh, this is really the most important part of your job is being able to work with people. Are there any skills that you were advised to have that you never used at all? Oh, believe it or not, I would have to say a lot, which I think should be a part of it, is user experience. Very rarely do I ever get to like sit and interview the user before I do any type of scoping, (laughs) which is sad. I would think I would want to know what the user would be using the database or any system that I create. (laughs) And I think I'm usually hired to like get things done. So it's not as a question of, hey, we want to make sure we're building the right product. It's like, hey, we need something fast. We need something that works. And we need something, not as I saying, cost effective. And I kind of feel like it's like missing link that I actually do want to make sure it's efficient over a long period of time. That makes sense. So you find in your role, it's more on the client to figure out what the product is to make. And for you, it's just make this product. We promise it's the right one. Yeah, definitely. Yep. If someone wanted to do what you do, what's a good path to take? Oh, definitely. I would say because what I do is very like hybrid (laughs) because it's not like, oh, I'm just a developer or I'm just an engineer. I'm a little bit of everything um, because I do do trainings as well and I have to do a lot of communication um, and I do speak with like clients. So I would say figure out where your strengths are as far as like, are you a good communicator? Is that something that you need to work on? And then starting from there, because it's not one of those types of uh, jobs where you can stay in the back in the shadows and no one's going to talk to you. People are going to talk to you a lot. <laughs> and um, to make sure that you're on the right path that you need to be on. So if someone wanted to do what I do, just being comfortable being a developer and being a communicator. Since you have been working as an educator, um, could you tell me something that uh, people early in the career or career changers Uh, usually don't learn from their classes and they had to learn either on the job or with you? Yeah, definitely. Being like a tech educator is very, very important when you're teaching someone else, particularly when it comes to like programming, that you can literally 
study the material and the exercises all day long and know the responses, like the front and back of your hand. But that's not where you're going to be tested. You're going to be tested when you're live and in color in front of other people. That's when your knowledge is really going to be tested. And it's one of those situations where you have to be prepared for the unknown. And those are usually in the form of questions. <laughs> and I feel like as an educator, it was very eye-opening for me to realize that I really had to know a lot more than the students because I had to be prepared for the questions that they might have. And I think a lot of times we forget when we are so like advanced in our careers that when we first started out, we didn't know everything. We didn't know any acronyms or anything like that. And it's like, wow, like it's a lot of steps to this process. <laughs> and if I was like completely new to even just using a computer, how would I get to where I'm at today? And being able to explain that, it can be really challenging. The longer you spend your career, the longer, the more likely you are to have to train other people. So is there something you'd advise people like mid-level senior engineers that are starting to train up uh, interns in junior level, uh, maybe mistakes they usually make or anything you can advise them to do better? Um, I would have to say when it comes down to just training like new engineers and developers, making sure that you can show how to work through solutions. I feel like that's like the key thing because I know me personally, I do things off of muscle memory at this point and not everyone learns the same way. So depending on, you know, the person who's just starting out, I would want to make sure that A, we figure out how do they soak up information and then kind of like tailoring training to fit their needs. Um, because some people are more like visual learners and things like that. So you kind of have to figure out like what works best and then proceed. But I think more or less being able to work through like real live problems is like the most, like the best way to learn. Yeah, that yeah, actually makes, that makes sense. sense. That's how I've learned best, best, best going through this project. project. Um, um, there any, is there any, any skills you wish you knew when you started working on working tech? Uh, definitely, believe it or not, I would have loved to have learned how to work more on the front end <laughs> because I felt like I was just so used to, oh, let me just make sure the data is consistent on the back end that when things didn't work on the front end from a user's perspective, I was like a fish out of water because I was like, what do you want me to do? Like, I don't even know what do users actually want? Like, how do people navigate a website? I don't know. That's not my arena. So I feel like I would have loved to have had that like concrete, more like full stack um, developer type of experience early on instead of like way after the fact because I feel like I'm, I was playing catch up. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, um, yeah, I still, yeah, feel, I still like feel like I can't tap on the front end. There's so much going on there. I'm just, I'm just gonna save my save my Python, Python zone, zone forever. forever. Yeah, right. <laughs> so a lot, so a lot of, of people who are learning, learning on their own and, and training to training to be developers, they never. It's hard for them to know when they're ready to have that first job. Is there anything you advise us like, oh, you're ready to start applying a job? Right, right amount of knowledge you need to. Yeah, definitely. I would say, honestly, this might sound kind of cheesy, but having enough like pet projects or like your own freelance clients is like the best way to do it. And when I say freelance clients, I usually mean like my mom, my dad, or my friend, <laughs> like someone who I'm like, hey, let me make a website for you. Or, hey, let me build a database for you. Like having concrete projects that you feel very confident about is like the most like invigorating things you can have because I feel like when you're first starting out you kind of second guess yourself more and you it'll stop you from taking that 
next step to applying for a job. I feel like it's people getting that very weird spot where they're like, do I have enough knowledge? I'm not sure. And it, it totally prevents them from like applying. And it's like, you actually know a lot more um, than you tell yourself. And I definitely had to deal with that um, when I first started. Like, I didn't want to apply for, and so I felt like I knew everything. And I was like, no, I actually do know a lot. Let me stop wasting time. Yeah, it's amazing how many parts go into making a project when you you realize that once you completed a project and then you try to do it again, you're like, oh, wow, there's a lot of stuff here. Basically, and I, I ran into that definitely. So what's your next step, either for yourself or for your organization that you work for? Uh, my next step, honestly, is to kind of pass the torch. I love teaching other people all the knowledge that I have, but... I really kind of want to go more in the business development end of working in tech. So I kind of want to give people the tools to be successful. So whether that's being like a coach or working full time as an instructor, that's like really what I want to do. And ideally, I would want to like do research on how people interact with technology. Yeah, it does seem like the more I work in tech, the more what we're doing is kind of based on assumptions of how we feel things are working. So the more research can be done to learn how people are actually using stuff, I think would be great for everyone. Are there any technical organizations that you enjoy being a part of that you'd like to recommend to our audience? Oh, definitely. Of course, Girl Develop It. Like, that's how I got started. I went to a bunch of their meetups in New York City and literally just being around other women who were in the same exact spot as me, um, back in 2017, it was like amazing to feel like, oh my God, I felt like I was asking dumb questions. Like, wow, maybe these women actually know more than me. So that was definitely one organization that I always recommend. And of course, Women Who Code as well um, in New York City. They're another nonprofit organization that has meetups. And I thoroughly enjoyed learning so much at their events. And I would definitely have to say the last one, which is more geared towards, you know, people of color, it would be We Build Black. They're another uh, nonprofit here in New York City. And it was so great to be around other, you know, black folks who were just like me. And I was like, I don't usually have people who look like me at organizations. And that's like another layer within another group that I wasn't even aware of until I joined their meetup. And it was like, wow, I would love to spread the knowledge and the word about all three organizations. If our listeners want to reach out via social media, how can they reach you? Definitely my LinkedIn. Like, I'm probably the only person I know who just has LinkedIn. <laughs> so, Thank you for joining us today, Tay. To keep up to date on upcoming episodes or to continue the conversation, please follow us on Twitter at FromSourcePod. If you'd like to share your journey with our audience or have any questions about the podcast, please email me at FromTheSourcePod at gmail.com.